0: Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies.
1: There's one thing that is certain in the medical device industry, and that is there are always changes in regulations all over the world. In fact, right at this moment, the regulatory environment in the European Union is under some significant change. And today on the Global Medical Device Podcast, I have Richard Young of Acclaim Biomedical, and he is going to talk with us today about some of those changes that are pending in the European market with respect to the medical device and in vitro diagnostic regulations. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, this is John Spear and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of changes brewing in the regulatory environment all over the world, including in Europe. And luckily for you, we have an, an expert on today's podcast. With me, I have Richard Young. Richard is the Managing Director at Acclaim Biomedical Consulting, LTV. Prior to founding ABC, Richard had more than 20 years of experience in senior quality assurance and regulatory affairs roles in a diverse range of medical device and in vitro diagnostic companies. Having traveled the world honing his expertise and gaining an extensive range of industry, Context. Richard now feels he can independently offer a truly innovative range of services, all designed with you in mind. His goal is to provide you with exactly what you want quickly and effectively. Richard, welcome to the program today. Thanks, John. Very nice to be here. Now, tell us a little bit more about Acclaim Biomedical, where people can f- can find out more about that before we dive too deep into today's topic.
0: Yeah, certainly. Yeah, um, we're based in the UK. You can find a range of services and, uh, and our offerings on www.acclaimedbiomedical.co.uk. Uh, we're really set up to bring sort of the quality and regulatory affairs aspects of the medical devices industry, and sort of combine it with a good understanding with clinical services uh, and marketing services as well. So. So a bit broader than the traditional uh, consultancy, but really making trying to provide a holistic solution to to people looking to work in the European
1: market. Right, absolutely. Well, as you well know, I mean you've you've been following this very very closely, and, and I wanted we've talked a little bit. You and I've talked a little bit about this, but. Things are changing in the medical device and in vitro diagnostic regulatory world in EU, and that's really what we're going to dive into today. So, are you ready to to impart some knowledge on our listening audience
0: today? I'm in my best imparting mood, John. So <laughs> we'll do the best we can.
1: Okay, so I guess before we get into too many details on the topic. Can you just give everybody like maybe a a 30,000-foot view of of what's happening on the regulatory front for medical devices and and IVDs in Europe?
0: Well, basically, medical devices and IVDs, for that matter, in Europe have been threatening to come up with new versions of what were known as the EU directives in those two areas for the best part of five or six years. Uh, And... It's been very slow coming along. It hasn't happened as quickly as anybody would have hoped, but uh, it's it's getting to the point where it, it it's becoming real now. It started looking pretty real last year, about June time, where we had a draft of the text for both of the new regulations come out. So big shift from a directive to a regulation, which won't have to be implemented across Europe. So we saw the very early text after much arguing. And that was refined somewhat later this year in May time with a clear intent for that text to be turned into something that's published and becomes law in Europe. Actually, the target was this month, but being controlled by politicians and being in Europe, it's probably going to be a little bit later, but they've got four days. All right. So So when you say this month,
1: I mean, that's uh, meaning in September 2016. Yeah, September was the original goal.
0: I, I, I've heard I've heard a variety of, of possible dates on anything from this month through to January next year. So we're just waiting on that final publication at the moment. It's
1: not, but it's not if, it's really when at this point. It's how yeah, to. it is really
0: when. The, the complication here seems to be just tidying up the language of both of the new regulations and getting them all tightened up. There were three directives in Europe. We had the active implantables medical devices directive, the medical devices directive, and the IVD directive. And they've really been consolidated down. The medical device and the active implantable device medical device directive being compiled to one regulation right. and a separate IVD regulation. So quite a bit of drafting going on to sure. get the language right and the legal things of those right. Um, but uh, that, that seems to be where the holdup is there.
1: Sure, sure. Absolutely. So I've got a couple of uh, things I want to dive into a little bit deeper today. I know there's a couple of these areas that, that have, I don't know, I'll say giving people fits. I mean, that may not be the right way to describe it, but have been, we'll say challenging maybe at times for, for people to begin with. And, and I'm sure that there's some question or concern about how do these changes, this shift from directive to regulation. How is this going to impact some of these different areas? The first one I want to dive into is about clinical evidence. And, you know, obviously that has been an area that, that's been under some scrutiny for quite some time. And there's, there is some change in some different practices from a U.S. perspective versus an EU perspective on this to begin with. But, how do you see that burden of clinical evidence changing with the new regulations? I
0: think that this is probably the, one of the fundamental shift areas in the new regulations coming forward, uh, especially for those people out there who are dealing with the in vitro diagnostic side of the, the industry. There was a, quite a gap between the medical devices directives and the in vitro diagnostics directives prior to these new regulations coming out. But the requirements and these, these new regulations are really quite similar, with sort of uh, credence to the fact that they are you know very different areas technically. Uh, and what we're finding here is the new regulations go an incredibly long way to trying to address the fundamental issues. That led to things like the ASR metal-on-metal uh, metal hip implant right. uh, fiasco, uh, and if you there's lots of annexes and and lots, lots of pages devoted to it. We can really break it down to the clinical evidence is going to be very much a a, a continuous process, and there's a lot of emphasis already from European notified bodies looking at a continuous process of post-market clinical follow-up. We're um, mm. already being asked. As, as manufacturers to make sure we have plans in place to do that. And the role of post-market surveillance is being really ramped up to become a central theme in Europe. So, the, you know, to continually monitoring the performance of those devices out there in a credible manner is incredibly important. I don't think the underlying message here is in line with the risk factors associated with the device and the more risk Risky devices, the higher classification, the more important that clinical evidence is, and you, you need to have that out there to keep those products on the market.
1: Sure. So, talk to me a little bit about about periodic reporting. I mean, you know, the post market surveillance, the, the post market clinical follow up, this periodic reporting. These are these are all concepts that that seem to be really just. Uh, they're not new per se necessarily, but but they're they've been a little ambiguous. So talk to me a little bit about or I'm sorry, periodic reporting.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. There's the, you know, post market surveillance in itself it isn't a new concept for medical devices in Europe at all. Yeah, you know, it's, it's been asked for many years, but I think the definition has got very very precise. The language and the fact there are specific articles describing what the expectations are but so there's both in the in vitro diagnostics regulations and in the medical devices regulations. Mm-hmm. Well, What we're seeing here is, as I said, this idea of continuous, continuous monitoring and also an element of transparency, especially with the class 2 being class 3 devices from a medical devices perspective. And we can see this in this periodic reporting requirement that's been coming in the new regulation. We can see the Requirement for manufacturers of Class Three devices and so on to actually be reporting on an annual basis to the European Commission. Uh, what's happening? What What is their market experience with their product out there? Right. And interestingly, that that actually goes in with the requirement to actually have a published periodic, you know, the periodic safety report things and some public display of. Uh, health and safety data associated with the product on the UdMed database, which is going to be public access as well. So th- think of themes of transparency and making sure that clinical evidence is very solid. You know, it, it really is PMS is coming out from underneath the bed and having a big spotlight shown, shown on it and being said, you know, the, being, being said very clearly, this is your your central method of actually validating your risk management assumptions and making sure that they're still valid on an ongoing basis. So they're all, all into, very much interconnected and very important to manage and keep live.
1: Right. You know, and, and one of the things that, that there's a big, obviously a big difference between the FDA regulatory model and the European regulatory model, and, and it seems like this change in the, in the regulations or pending changes in, in Europe is going to make those those models a little more similar to one another, but it's still you know the thing that's un, unclear to me is you know the FDA can 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 show up and, and and perform an inspection at the medical device companies. I mean, will the, do you anticipate that the European model will will I guess have that sort of teeth, so to speak, or that sort of enforcement to be able to send inspectors to med device companies, or do you see this periodic reporting kind of being a good faith measure? Uh, to help address that? No, I
0: think it's gone beyond that already. It's is, it is one of a mul- multitude of me- measures, and uh, notified bodies, and some of some of your people out there have probably already been the victims of this, you know, the notified bodies are on a schedule of going out and doing unannounced audits already w- with their clients worldwide. We can see that extending out into critical suppliers to those to those customers over the next few years. And I think the activity in that area is only going to increase. And I think that's going to be really interesting because with the publication of the new version of 13485 this year and the very strong Hint that that standard is going to form the basis of the medical device and audit program that the FDA is moving their guidance to meet at the moment. It's going to be the standard that people refer to in Europe as their model for compliance. It's the FDA using it for the Single audit program as well. I, I can see these things coming real close together, and and, and that level of scrutiny in the unannounced audits things. I, I think sort of brings it all
1: together. Right, right. I guess from one perspective, I see that as there could be a lot of positives to that. I mean, we're as med device companies, we're already subjected to numerous audits. It seems like from from all sorts of different bodies, FDA and 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 our ISO auditors and you know, other regulatory bodies across the world and supplier audits and customer audits and all these sorts of things. And it seems like that single audit program shows a lot of promise. You know, if I can address the FDA and and ISO in one audit, that, that that might be helpful in some way, shape or form. So I'm curious to see how that gets executed in practice. I don't know if you've had any experience with that today.
0: Yeah, there are people out there offering the programs at the moment. We're slightly anticipating the end of the pilot program that's due to report back at the beginning of 2017. But
1: right.
0: all the feedback looks pretty positive so far. And I, yeah. I think, right, it'll lift an entire, you know, real big burden on on manufacturers right at the moment. who have to furnish audits from Anvisa right. and, and, and you know, FDA and a whole range of regulatory inputs. Right. be interesting to, do. Yeah, you know, obviously, Europe isn't signing up to this program at the moment, but, you know, the basis and standards is the same. So, you know, we, you know, make it more sensible and more uniform. Yeah, it can only be better for manufacturers and, you know, keep maintaining
1: their compliance. Right. So, Richard, a good percentage of our listening audience, uh, maybe all of our listening audience, they're all about getting new products to market in some way, shape, or form, new medical devices. And obviously classification, how how devices are classified is is um well it determines your path to that market. And I've always personally I've always kind of appreciated that the European model because it's it's historically been pretty straightforward. It's been very decision tree oriented. I'm an engineer. I like flowcharts. I can follow <laughs> that you <know? laughs> whereas you know sometimes that FDA model is a little confusing and, and such. But I'm curious, do you see that there's going to be any major changes with respect to how products are classified with the new medical device regulations and in vitro diagnostic regulations going to affect maybe later this year or at least soon? Do you see any changes from the classification uh, If, t- if we're talking
0: about in vitro diagnostics, I think that is a major shift for the in vitro diagnostics side of the industry because they've gone very much from a uh, European terms, a, a traditional. Uh, sort of a list—a a list of products that were controlled by the previous directive—to a risk-based classification system, which we'd be more familiar with on the medical devices. That's a big shift for the, right. the, the diagnostic side of the business, and they get, you know, classifications of A through D, D being your high-class devices. So yeah, that's a big shift shift on that side of the business. I think for medical devices, the the classification there are more classification rules in there and what they've to do is add a lot of definition. So it's easier to look at, you know, deal with new technologies that are coming through so there's more definitions and more guidance on how you go in in there you know for example there's a lot of definition there in software products and and so on because you know we, we you know we're all into the wearables and so on these days so there's yeah, quite a bit of emphasis on those in the situation from the classifications applicable to those but essentially most of the expansion of the classifications on the medical device side is more associated with the fact that there's two directives and one now in one regulation. So there's that accounts for sort of 90% of the expansion of the definition and the rest is to cover new technology areas.
1: Right, but it's still going to be rule-based where, you know, you can yeah. follow through basically a decision tree type of uh, approach and follow certain rules to determine
0: that class. Yeah, the, the, the basic risk-based principles of looking at the intended use of the device and its area of application and then following through the sections is still being preserved. Yeah, it's, it's pretty straightforward to... To go through, you know, it's longer now, so yeah, you know, it pays you to sit down in a quiet room and uh, and look through it very, very carefully. And some some products move slightly. The, by and large, ninety nine percent of products are where they are currently, so no major shifts expected for most people. Okay, it is it, it once it's true for everybody, it, it pays everybody to get out there and have a real good look, make sure you know where you're going in the future, Just validate that for your product.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Obviously, a, a core a foundational component of European directives historically has been the, the concept of the essential requirements, making sure that, that your, your product or technology meets certain essential requirements. How much has this changed as a result of, or do you anticipate this changing as a result of, of shifting from the directives to becoming regulations in Europe?
0: On the essential requirements, again, we've got essential requirements mirrored into the in vitro diagnostic and medical device side of things. That's a bit of a new thing for the in vitro diagnostics people. But on the medical device side, in both sides, we're seeing that the essential requirements have expanded. If you look at medical devices, for example, we've gone from 13 to 19 essential requirement areas. With a lot more emphasis on things like phthalates and specific material interactions with you know concerns about things like metal on metal and PIP and uh, PVC plasticizers and so on hey, there's, spec- there's specific sections in them that, that that need to be spoken to by as you go through the essential requirements they all essentially make sense though. you know well, it, it, right. it's a longer process to go through and do them now, but you know the approaches that were taken in the past are still going to be equally valid and you just, you just can take a little bit more time to answer all the questions. There's yeah. nothing, there's nothing uh, over the top there. And there's a specific section to back up the changes to classification. There's a specific section right. on, on software products now. All right. Getting into, the, into those and, hey, how you use your handheld device for the product? <laughs> of the product?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, picking up a bit of, I'm picking up a bit of a theme. You, you mentioned software a few times today. so yeah. it, It's one of the areas. It's definitely one of the areas. You mentioned that you know, it's, these changes have been talked about for quite some time. I can imagine that t- software and technology was, is probably a big motivator to, to finally do something about this too.
0: Yeah, I, I think historically prior to sort of the PAPRAS, I think pre-book, people are pretty happy with the legal framework in Europe. But I think the, a, a growing dawning of uh, realisation that things have moved beyond the scope of what, what that directive, when it was already written in the 90s, sure. you know, could possibly envisage. And, you know, I don't think anybody thought we'd have computers that could launch a mission to the moon in, yeah. in our pockets, and yeah. people want to Bluetooth things and get data and control yeah. their devices around them. You know, medical as well as their TVs. So yeah. Yeah. Hey, it's, it's, that, that, that's where it's going, and and, we, and the regulations have to be fit for purpose to to frame that. Uh, I, I think, people, you know, and a good example is the labelling sections. I think people would please see beginning of cracks opening to allow labelling to be delivered with some provisos via the internet. So right. you know, we can see that uh, modernization to a certain extent coming through there.
1: Sure, sure, and I, and I can imagine there's there's been a lot of other economic, I guess, influences and, and ramifications from a number of different perspectives that have impacted some of these decisions to change and, and implement the new regulations as well. So, anything you want to share about that? Yeah, I think this is
0: probably one of the other major areas of change within the European, the new European regulations. Yeah, It's interesting reading through all of them that both of them use the word liability and so on quite a lot. So there's a lot of legal languages and concepts coming in. Right. There's also, I think, really in parallel with what's going on in the US at the moment, this emphasis on distribution and this, this ec- concept of the economic operator. And in, in Europe, that means your distributors, your importers, and your right. authorized representatives. And really docked into this idea is, is cooperation of these entities, these people, these economic operators with the, the authorities in Europe and and a real regulatory requirement for them to maintain traceability and control of the product as it's moved around Europe really fits in with the UDI thing. That's oh, yeah. so we're going, we're going to see UDI on both sides of the Atlantic, oh, yeah, which I think is a good thing. I, yeah, why shouldn't we know where our products are? You know, Brisbane manufacturers do so. <laughs> yeah, we should. Well, I think we're going to see. <clears throat> And that UDI requirement, and and we're going to see a lot more professionalism, I think, in the distribution chain because they've got a lot of legal requirements on them now. Manufacturers, it's it's going to be a bit of a challenge keeping control of that as manufacturing that distribution chain, making sure it's kept kept up to date right. and documented in a good manner.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've worked with or interacted with several medical device distributors over the years, and it, it's uh, as we say here in the United States. It's sometimes medical device distributors operate like they're in the Wild West. There's there's not there's not much uh, oversight or law that impact them, and and sometimes it, there's like. It really seems like they're stretching the or the limits and and pushing the envelope quite a bit to use a lot of metaphors and similes and that's that statement. But but it's uh, distributors have been kind of uh, an unregulated force in our industry for a long time, and I hear that you know from your words that that seems like that might be shifting a bit too. Yeah,
0: I, I, I think the days of the small distributor who who has a garage full of product and an SUV. Yeah. of what he's trying to sell today, I think that's that's doing. We're, we're talking they're going to have a need for traceability at right. some level of IT systems and control of documentation and records
1: right.
0: that, that is appropriate for the sorts of products. We're talking about handling and distributing to, mm. to our, our end customers. Yeah, so I I think it's going to be pretty important for manufacturers to know where their product goes after they throw it out of the door. I'm predicting for some of my clients at the moment they they're not just going to need a, a supplier Quality engineer, they should have a distributor supply well, chain is out there as well,
1: <laughs> and a lot of medical device companies, you know, they get to the point like, "Oh, I, I can't tell you where it went. It, I, I my distributor handles that." I'm like, ah, become on. It's your product, you know, but that's that's probably a whole different topic for a whole different day. Yeah,
0: it's going it to take a while to settle down, John, but I, I get a feeling that that's not going to be a great answer in the future. <laughs> <laughs> it might get you into a lot of trouble with your with your various regulatory authorities. So, yeah, that's I think that's good. I think
1: that's real good. I tend to agree. So we've covered quite a bit about this this change that's coming real soon. Anything else that you want to add that we haven't, uh, you think are really important for for our audience to know about or to think about as we move forward with these changes in medical device and in vitro diagnostic regulations in Europe?
0: I, I think it all comes down to timing and communication from that, you know, understanding the classifications of your devices going forward and being Real strategic and looking about which products you're going to take forward to the market under the new regime, and that yeah, hey, there may be small products out there right. with very very scant clinical evidence that you you might want to push off the edge in favour of stuff that's better documented. I I think there's some hard decisions to be made by everybody uh, from an established manufacturer's perspective out there. Right, but I think it's real real important for for everybody to. Have a good strategic plan of what they've got and where they're going, and and really communicate well with the notified bodies, and make sure that that notified body's lined up to support them right. going forwards. And so communication is everything in this. Right. Documenting things really well in a controlled manner, making sure that you're communicating upwards, downwards, sideways, and
1: hey, right.
0: uh, have a plan. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Nothing else. Have a plan. Right.
1: Well, uh, Richard, I appreciate <laughs> you taking your time today to, to talk to the audience of the global medical device podcast. I want to let the audience know that, you know, hope this is okay with you. If they have questions about if and what and how uh, to do with respect to these changes that are coming in, in the medical device and I, in vitro diagnostic regulations and you know, that they can reach out to you and connect with you and, and, Richard, is the best place to get a hold of you via the Acclaim Biomedical Consulting website. Yeah, that'd, that'd be absolutely perfect, John. We'll include a link to that in the text that, that accompanies this. But for those of you who, who are listening on your, your iPods or, or what have you, Richard, you can find more about him in Acclaim Biomedical. Again, the website is Acclaim, A-C-C-L-A-I-M, biomedical, all one word, no spaces, .co.uk. And uh, there's a contact page, of course, where you can reach out if you need more information about this. And Richard would be happy to help you with your questions. So Richard, again, thank you for being part of the Global Medical Device Podcast. And just want to let everyone know if, if you need some help with your quality management system, if you need help managing your design controls and your risk management, especially as you prepare for those technical files and essential requirements for the devices that you'll be bringing to the European market. Greenlight.guru has a software solution that can help you with that as well. Go to greenlight.guru, request a demo. One of my colleagues will have a conversation with you and find out how we can help you get your products to market a little bit faster and align with the regulations that comply with all of these changes that are happening all over the world. So thank you and we'll talk to you soon.